the COVID-19 pandemic, Florida and the Latino vote, and a fourth presidential debate MMA style? Huh, is that a good idea, Alice? It's something to think about, and I think that it's worthy of having a conversation and we will flesh that out as we continue with the discussion on our podcast. Welcome to Hot Mics from Left to Right. I'm Alice Stewart. And I am Maria Cardona. I can be found on Twitter at Maria T. Cardona and on Instagram at Maria Cardona DC. And you can find me on social media, Twitter at, at Alice Tweet and Instagram at Alice Stewart DC. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, Hot Mics from Left to Right. We're on all the podcast platforms and we would love a good rating. And we would also love if you told your friends about it. And let us know what you think in terms of the issues that we're discussing. If there's a certain issue you want us to talk about, if you want guests that you want us to have on, by all means, let us know. Obviously, a lot of what many people are talking about and reading about and uh, living with is COVID. And that's really front and center in a lot of not just the headlines, but on people's minds as people are getting sick and getting well and trying to deal with this. And Maria, there's been new conversations with this in light of Bob Woodward's new book, where he had conversations with the president back in February and back in March, where the president acknowledged that he understood the severity of it, but he downplayed it uh, because he, quote, didn't want people to panic. And it's, it's really become a distraction, but even more so a concern. Well, it is a big concern, Alice, and I actually do think it can be a very detrimental issue for the president because he already is seen is seen as somebody who did not really deal with a pandemic the way that he was supposed to, that he was completely unprepared, and worse, that he didn't take it seriously at first and still doesn't take it seriously. And what I think is so damaging about the Woodward revelations is that These are not anonymous, unnamed quotes or sources. This is Donald Trump and Donald Trump's voice in Donald Trump's own words, where he said to Woodward that he understood how lethal this virus was. He even called it a killer, if you got it. And he deliberately told Bob Woodward that he was downplaying it and that he still likes to downplay it. And... A lot of communities have taken this very personally, Alice. The Latino community, as you know, that I work with very closely, and the African-American community as well, but they have been devastated by COVID-19. They have been dealt deaths and infections at a hugely disproportionate rate. And I think you're going to have a lot of Latino and African-American voters that are going to be looking to this president and blaming him for the deaths that they have seen in those communities. And, and then saying, and this is a man that is still downplaying it, that is still making fun of Joe Biden wearing masks, that is still ignoring the science and the facts. My question to you is, This is something that I do think can be very detrimental to him with independent voters and with um, undecided voters, you know, as, as little of those as I think there are. I do think they can make a big difference. But do you think it will make a difference with anyone who was perhaps not not a hardcore supporter of Donald Trump, but perhaps a supporter that was, you know, well, I think I will still vote for him. Do you think this will make a difference? 
I, I personally do not think so. If you are a Republican and you support this president, you, even if you are a soft supporter, they will continue to support him. I, I've been outside of the bubble, outside of D.C., outside of New York, and uh, visited Arkansas recently, and people uh, support this president, and they are looking at what he's doing now, not as much as what he said back then, and they are doing everything they can to protect themselves, many wearing masks, many social distancing, but they are looking forward, and they're looking ahead, and that is, I think, the best thing we can do, because if it Truthfully, if you want to point the fingers, there are a lot of Democratic governors and Democratic mayors that made some, I think, wrong decisions with regard to their residents. Governor Cuomo in New York, one, uh, sending COVID patients to nursing homes, and that did cause a lot of death. So there's plenty of blame to go around, and we can look back or we can look forward. And I think the fact that this president is working hard on getting a vaccine and working to to move forward on ways to, to curb the spread and get a vaccine, that's where the focus needs to be. The focus certainly will be on that from the Biden campaign, Alice, and on how this president, again, lied to the American people from the very beginning. You say that he has done what, what was necessary to try to curb the pandemic, but he, he really didn't. He never and still hasn't brought the full force of the U.S. government to a national strategy to deal with this. You will have doctors and medical experts say that till they're blue in the face. They will say that the most important thing that anybody can do to protect themselves to this day is to wear a mask. And then you have the president of the United States holding these massive rallies, which will be super spreaders, not talking about wearing a mask, in fact, making fun of people who wear masks and not encouraging social distancing. And that is putting American lives at risk. And that is something that I will never understand. And it is something that the Biden campaign, as they should, and medical experts along with them are going to continue to underscore. The, the concern with that is no one at these Trump rallies were forced to go there. No one's forced to stay there and no one uh, is forced to to wear or not to wear a mask. And so to to call attention to that goes to show that people can make up their own minds, just as when we had these uh, rallies and protests and a lot of these uh, Black Lives Matter uh, gatherings. No one was concerned about social distancing during those times. So I think it's it's more about what people are gathering for than their COVID, the way they act or social distance or wear a mask or not. And I think another one of the key issues or fallouts from the Woodward book is, um, yes, I do have concerns. The president wasn't a little bit more forthright with the information, but some of the new information we're getting out of that is coming out obviously Woodward is trickling information out but one of the questions he asked the president was was there a moment in all of this in the last two months where you said to yourself you know you're waking up or doing whatever you're doing and this is the leadership test of a lifetime and Trump said no and and I do think this uh, pandemic and the magnitude of it is an opportunity to show leadership and bring people together and I, I just feel like this is a missed opportunity to really bring people together in a situation that was not 
we, we couldn't have avoided, but there could have been a little bit more to bring people together. There's no question about that, Allison. I do think that that is the main concern for so many voters who look at this president, including voters who voted for him in 2016, who now say this is not somebody who is fit for office because of exactly what you said. If this pandemic that is killing Americans. And in fact, just yesterday, we saw a huge spike in new cases and a huge spike in American deaths, the highest number that we have seen in both in months, tells you right there that what this president is doing is not working. And what I think is going to be really relevant to voters as they really look into themselves and figure out if there are, you know, those who are still trying to figure out between one and the other is who is fit to meet the moment. And I also want to address something that the president said as an excuse as to why he downplayed it. First of all, he well, now he's trying to, to backtrack and say he didn't downplay it, but we have his words saying, I, I downplayed it and I still like to downplay it. He said he didn't want to cause panic. Now, if it were anyone else, perhaps I might believe that. But here is a president where the very first day that he announced for his campaign for president wanted to cause panic and wanted that that cause of panic be Latinos, Mexican immigrants, Hispanics. He very much has used the word Hispanic invasion, talking about the caravans, warning people. Also now warning people that if Joe Biden gets elected, they're going to be going around the suburbs and knocking down your doors. That is deliberately trying to cause panic. So I'm sorry, but when he says he didn't want to cause panic, everyone just kind of rolls their eyes and laughs. Uh, look, I, I think there's plenty of panic causing to go around. And I can I'll give one example. And I was reading about this this morning. And this is the Democrats accusing this president of hating science and the wildfires are the president's fault and global warming is his fault and hurricanes are his fault and all of this and joe biden calls this president a climate arsonist and blaming him uh, in large part for these wildfires so and he went on to say that if if we re-elect donald trump we'll have more wildfires we'll have more hurricanes we'll have more uh, climate problems and he specifically mentioned people in the suburbs you need to worry about wildfires and hurricanes and there's that's plenty of of causing fear and concern and panic amongst people in order to uh, politicize your opponent so i think there's plenty of that going around but when you are actually in the suburbs and you can't look outside of your window and see the sun because of the smoke of the wildfires then yes, that's an issue. And, and you know, Donald Trump did not light the spark. It was some couple doing a, a, a baby reveal party, which first of all, I can't imagine. Can you imagine being that couple? Or can you imagine being that kid later on in life? That is not a legacy that you want on your back. Or the company that, that oh, put that together, yeah, not a good idea. Yeah, but, but we digress. The point that Joe Biden and the Democrats make and this is, I absolutely believe this to my core, as do so many people who believe in climate change and the science of climate change, is that when you have a president who doesn't believe in the science, who, who thinks that climate change is a hoax, 
they will never bring the resources or the strategy to bear that is needed from a national perspective and from an international perspective because this isn't just a problem that the United States is going to be suffering from. It is a global problem. Donald Trump took us out of the Paris Accords. Donald Trump does not believe that this is a problem that we need to put our resources behind to fix. That does put people in danger. That That is, a, I think, a excellent conversation that we could spend an entire <laughs> podcast talking about that. That is true. Um, but we will... Uh, move forward to the next issue which whether it's climate change whether it is covid whether it is the racial issues um no one of these candidates is going to become the next president i feel like unless they win florida and florida is so critical for a lot of reasons but specifically the latina community you you have to be able to connect with them and just certainly giving some of the numbers back in 2016 uh, donald trump won florida uh, he won in 2016 48.6% of the vote. Hillary Clinton, 47.4. Florida has 29 electoral college votes. You need 270 to win. So this is a, a huge, huge state for one of these candidates to win. Right now, the Real Clear Politics average has Joe Biden ahead by 1.6. Mm-hmm. That ought to be a concern. It, it is a concern. And like I've always said, you've heard me say this. The only way that the Biden campaign should be running is running scared and thinking that they are behind everywhere. But I love that you brought up Florida because the Latino vote is going to be critical, not just in Florida, but everywhere. The Latino vote is going to be the largest non-white voting bloc in the country this election. 32 million eligible voters, Latino eligible voters across the country. You brought up Florida. Uh, Hillary Clinton lost by less than a percentage point. There are 3 million eligible voters, Latino voters in Florida. They could absolutely make the difference. And so there have been a lot of stories recently that have been written about how Joe Biden is, quote unquote, losing the Latino vote. And while On the one hand, I think that it is always good to make sure that the campaign is on its toes and it's not taking anything for granted. That is a big exaggeration. The focus of these articles is the Cuban-American vote. There has not been a a Democratic presidential candidate that has won the Cuban vote since John F. Kennedy. And they don't need to win the Cuban-American vote. There has been an influx of Puerto Ricans into the I-4 corridor and across Florida. And that is where Joe Biden and the Democrats are really focusing their firepower. This is a demographic that will be reminded how awful President Trump was in the response to Hurricane Maria, that he went down to the island to throw them Rolls of toilet paper. Ro- think, rolls actually, of kitchen paper. It was, it was paper towels. <laughs> Sorry, it was paper not. towels. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Um, but you know, so, so that will be a big issue. But but my point is that the Latino vote is critical. The Biden campaign, the Democratic Party, absolutely need to be focused on this. And, and I do just have to say this, as you know, I work closely with the DNC. They have been focused on the Latino vote since. 
Chairman Tom Perez, the first Latino to chair a part to chair the Democratic Party, uh, came into um, came into office, and they have been putting organizers on the ground in all the key states, uh, especially in Florida, for a year and a half. So. We have to make sure that we leave nothing on the table, that we take nothing for granted, because Latinos will absolutely be a critical voting bloc. And, and it will, it's obviously critical for both sides. And we Republicans, we Republicans sent Mike Pence down to Florida to do campaigning because he sees Florida as as critical uh, path to, to 270. And, and the key is keeping them engaged and and reassuring uh, the people of Florida that they voted for this president for all the right reasons and he will continue to execute on the policies that that they support but um, even Karl Rove and his little uh, boards he was up there uh, I saw on on television again showing Florida 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 so the key is is reminding them that the policies that they support need to continue I have to say that the Trump administration is really focusing on Florida, and they have been bombarding Latinos down in Florida with really negative and and sometimes really disgusting messages about Joe Biden. I don't know if this is the campaign. I will say that. I, I hope it's not. But I have family in Florida, as you know, Alice, and they are sending me um, audio of of people who are Trump supporters who are pushing the message that Joe Biden is a pedophile. And that to me is just disgusting. And I know you don't agree with that. But this is a message that is being heard by Latinos down there. And in addition to that message, it is the message that I do know the Trump campaign is pushing because they've been pushing it from the very beginning that if Joe Biden gets elected there, he's going to he's going to usher in an era of socialism. And so what, what I want to point out about that, Alice, is something that Trump said in the last two days. He said in a rally, I believe it was his rally in Nevada, that if he gets reelected, he's going to negotiate a third term because he thinks he deserves it. Let's think about who tries to negotiate additional terms for the presidency when it is not allowed in the Constitution. Hmm. Hugo Chavez, uh, the Castro brothers in Cuba. Putin. Yeah, Putin. Yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. And it's interesting, during the ABC town hall where they were questioning the, the president, each time they would go to a break or come back from a break, one of the, they would cite different um informational tidbits about the presidency and Congress. And one of one of the information bits they put out there was each president shall serve two terms, mm -hmm. period. That's, you, you hear that, Donald Trump? That's two kind of, terms. As far as the dialogue or the mm -hmm. conversation this week about Joe Biden being a pedophile, uh, I'd read some articles and there were Latinas for Trump pushing uh, this information. And my immediate thought is I, I don't, know Joe Biden. I know people that know him and have worked for him. And um, I don't buy any of the sexual harassment and all, all of that kind of language. And anyone who is a President Trump supporter, knowing that he has paid off a porn star to hide an affair, uh, 
I think any kind of sexual impropriety is not one of the issues we need to be pushing. Thank you, Alice. See, everyone, this is why I do this podcast with this woman, because she is sensible. We don't agree on a whole lot in terms of politics or who we're supporting, but we know when things are outrageous on either side and we call them out and we have this conversation civilly and in a way that is respectful. Right. And I think there's plenty of things about Joe Biden. Uh, Sexual impropriety is not one of them. Uh, socialism, yes, but sexual impropriety is no. So there, there's plenty of material to work with. And, and and you know what? The the socialism thing is, I think, a fair um, topic to have the conversation on. I, I don't think people will buy it because he is not Bernie Sanders. I think if Bernie Sanders had been the candidate, I do think we would be in uh, a little bit of danger there. And I have said that publicly. But he, he didn't win, and Joe Biden is not a socialist, and Joe Biden is a, a moderate who understands what this country needs, who understands the policies that we need to put in place to make sure that every community has the ability to move forward, and frankly, who understands that we need to show more uh, civilized conversation, more humanity, and more empathy, which is something that is missing from this president. Well, and I think all of these are are certainly issues that are worth fleshing out and having the conversation about. And I think a perfect opportunity to have those conversations is in a debate and and having potentially another debate. And there was talk this week, one of my favorite podcasters out there, aside from you and I, uh, Joe Rogan, and he's got, you know, the highest rated uh, podcast and he had done his podcast last week and mentioned he and the guests he was on with talked about how they would like to hear more information, how they would love to have another debate and Joe Rogan would host it. Let me just say this. Joe Rogan um, is very smart. He's a stand-up comic, former, uh, he's big into mixed martial arts. He's a commentator uh, for mixed martial arts and he's witty and well-read and smart and he cusses quite a bit. Uh, and the idea of him hosting a presidential debate would sound absurd, but I think there's something to it uh, because people need to hear from the candidates. I would argue that there are already three presidential debates. I think people will have had a chance to hear from the candidates during those three presidential debates. I understand that what Joe Rogan wanted to moderate was a four-hour presidential debate, which, you know, again, in a chuckling way could be quote-unquote fun, but I don't think that would be the best use of Joe Biden's time. And given that right now he is the one who is ahead, he doesn't really need to do this kind of thing. I can see why Trump would want to do it because it is kind of within his bailiwick. He's a reality TV president, and this is kind of a reality TV format. I do think you wrote a great op-ed. It's actually very fun and informative to read on CNN.com, so people should check it out. But tell us a little bit more about what you flesh out in your op-ed. Yeah, I I think, as we said, the idea of a mixed martial arts stand-up comic podcaster hosting a debate is a little uh, out of the ordinary. But there's three points that I I brought up, Uh, one being early voting 
another being expanding the electorate, another encouraging critical thinking. And when you look at early voting, okay, we, we have, by the time we have the first actual debate on September 29th, 16 states will have already begun early voting and as many as 35 million people are expected to have voted by the second presidential debate in, on October 15th. So these are people that are casting their ballots having not seen the two candidates debate face-to-face -face on these issues and, and compare and contrast uh, on the policies that there are important to the American people, and, and I think that's a disservice. And also in terms of expanding the electorate, Joe Rogan has... Uh, millions and millions and millions of, of people that download his podcast, more than 200 million uh, n new people uh, download and view his podcast every month. And these are people that might not watch a, a presidential debate. So these are people that would benefit from, from seeing the candidates face to face and encouraging critical thinking, having um, just the opportunity to hear a candidate if you're not sure about, you're not gonna change people's minds but it's important to broaden their understanding of why President Trump says and does what he does, and same for Joe Biden. I would agree with you on all of those, except for, again, there already are three presidential debates where all of those things that you pointed out can get done. I also don't think that there is, if this was an election where 30 to 40 percent of the people were undecided i would say yes let's go for it people need to see more about what these two candidates are about and how they would deal with the major challenges that we have as a country but there are less than 10 percent of undecided voters in this election can they make the difference absolutely but i think between what all of the candidates are doing now and the three presidential uh, debates and the one vice presidential debate, I think that they will have enough information to be able to go and cast their ballot in an intelligent and informed way. And, and I think you'll agree with me on this, the one thing that I do want to encourage everybody to do, I don't care whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or an independent, is to cast a ballot. It is the most and highest indication of what we all know is the strength of this democracy, and that is our vote. And, and I think to that end, um, obviously no, November 3rd, Election Day, but there's early voting and with COVID, uh, people, I'm sure that many people listening already know this, but every single state has different rules. Every state has different deadlines. Every state has different uh, qualifications for voting. and do your research and find out what your state uh, requires and what their dates are and when you can early vote or when you er uh, go vote in person. And I, we can't stress that strongly enough. And as, as you say, I'm, I'm with you, whether you're any party, uh, wherever your leanings are, it's just voting is just so important. And, and this election it is very important. And, and let me just take this moment to acknowledge the start of Hispanic Heritage Month, which was yesterday, September 15th. It goes to October 15th. I think every day should be Hispanic Heritage Day <laughs> as a Latina, but I'm glad we take a whole month as a country to 
honor and acknowledge the incredible contributions of the very diverse Latino community that we have in this great nation. And I actually did an event yesterday, as I told you, Alice, with Democratic Party Chairman Tom Perez, the first Latino to chair the party, and with legendary organizer and labor activist Dolores Huerta, who worked with uh, Cesar Chavez. And it was all focused on making sure that Latinos came out to vote and that they understood how to do it. So in the spirit of what you just said, I am going to underscore a website that the DNC has put out there. It's called IWillVote.com. And it is information about everything that Alice just said, the state where you live, the district where you live. It tells you exactly what the rules are in that state, how to do mail-in voting if that's what you want, how to do go and do early vote if that's what you want. It has all of the rules particular to every state. They also have a version in Spanish that is voyavotar.com. Voyavotar.com, Iwillvote.com. That's so critically important, and and like she said, each state is different and it provides the, the up to date and the most valid information. And this is the time where we wrap things up. But before we go, if you can can give a little preview, you also had another exciting interview this week, and we'll talk more about that next week. But tell us who you talked to and how that went. I did. Uh, so I have a show, as you know, called The Maria Show on El Rey Network. And I had the privilege of interviewing Hillary Clinton this past week. And it was the first time that she has spoken publicly since these revelations that we talked about here today in the podcast from Woodward's book, as well as the revelations from the Atlantic article on some of the insults that Donald Trump had lashed out on against our military. And just in general, General, her view on the importance of the Latino vote, which we haven't heard from her in a while on that. So I was very happy uh, to have had the conversation with her. As you know, I'm a huge admirer of hers. And I got to tell you, Alice, I brought Sebastian and Maya Luna down when we finished and had them say hi to her. She met them when they were teeny tiny. And of course, they don't remember. She remembers. Um, but I... I got misty-eyed, I have to say, as well as my children, because, you know, she she has meant so much to me personally from my political career, as well as what we all thought would be the history-making moment in 2016. But she was incredible. She was upbeat. She was focused on making sure everybody comes out in this election because of how important it is. That's great. And they will certainly always remember that. So that's mm -hmm. so awesome to hear and um, great memories that you're creating. Uh, so we wrap things up. We're going to end as we do each week on, on a positive note. And mine is from one of my favorite companies of products that I love is the Life is Good Company. And they post great quotes and sayings uh, on social media, on Instagram. Them. Yes, they're great. And one of the things they have up, the, the overall quote is, never quit on a bad day, which I think that's great advice um, because you always remember how your last game was. But it fleshes it out a little bit more. It says, through mental and physical hardships, what keeps me coming back to the trails is the powerful sense of community and genuine good vibes. Positive energy 
is contagious. Never quit on a bad day. That's good advice. I like that. I definitely like that. Mine is, again, to honor the month that we are in, Hispanic Heritage Month, and the woman who has meant so much to so many Latinos and and their rights, especially as labor organizers, Dolores Huerta. So I'm going to do a quote from her, and that is the following. Every moment is an organizing opportunity. Every person a potential activist. Every minute a chance to change the world. And that, to me, obviously you can take that from a political standpoint, but I think she meant it, and I think we need to take it sort of in the overall spirit of each one of us has a tremendous power to move positivity in the world, to move, you know, sort of in terms of what you just said, right, positive energy in the world from one person to another. And that can be contagious and that can be extremely powerful. And we should acknowledge that power and we should use it for the greater good. Absolutely. And it is certainly contagious. So that's a great quote. And and it's certainly a great month to recognize outstanding people in, in that community. And we, again, appreciate everyone for listening and tuning in. Uh, and we encourage you to follow us uh, on social media. I'm on Twitter at Alice Tweet and on Instagram, Alice Stewart DC. And you can reach me on Twitter at Maria T. Cardona, on Instagram at Maria Cardona DC. And we want to thank you and encourage you to listen to us, to pass it on, and let us know what you think. So thank you for tuning in, and I hope everyone is safe. Muchas gracias. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.